I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we talk about IT in the age of scarcity. We really extend the conversation we've had before about how supply chain, ecologic, capital, um, political issues may limit our ability to continue to build big data centers. And we're already seeing this in the news. And so there is a very clear drive that we need to rethink how we are building a lot of the core infrastructure we depend on. That includes power. It includes data centers. uh, It potentially includes networking and connectivity and even human logic, which we get into. And that was the purpose of this conversation. It was to look at the bigger picture and then pull it back into how we build IT systems. Really fascinating conversation. And I know you will enjoy it. The topic of the day, which was ecological aspects of tech. So this was the other half of our supply chain. not exactly supply chain. I have recycling shortages, power, um, and and as a as a sweetener on this, there was just Mark Keeley was just posting this. Um, Microsoft pulling back on data center plans and Amazon, I think, because they they didn't have the power resources and other supply chain components to build new data centers. Like this is clearly clearly going to be a thing. Um, are we approaching saturation in cloud capacity? Uh, as in consumption capacity or our resource to build to build more cloud? The, la- the latter. Oh, my goodness. So I haven't seen any signals from the market that they think that, but you, it's a reasonable question of what happens if for all the money in the world, you can't buy more capacity. Um, and the cloud stops being elastic. Is that is that what you were thinking? Yep. The, the end of the end of the elastic era. I, it, it's oh my god! It's, it's basically it's the. It, so I, we're, we're treating the cloud as an unlimited resource, but uh, I like, I want to take that on as it's I want to take that on as a I'm going to slot it in for October sixth if that's all right with you. Um, I, I think, think that this think idea of it's a great topic, yeah, and and you know the the notion that I've heard uh, a couple of times is all right when it stops becoming when it stops being and you know kind of elastically expanding resource you know kind of unlimited. Um, do the hyperscalers become the moral equivalent of an OPEC? And are we starting to talk about the possibility of uh, artificially in a um, almost a cartel-like behavior, do they, you know, do they artificially manage pricing? Right now, a lot of what's going on, however, is, I mean, AWS has said, with regard to capex we will not increase capex that also means that uh, you know looking at you know the last 2 years um they spent pretty heavily 
on CapEx during the first quarter of this year. My guess is they did as well for the second. I don't know that I've seen any figures. And what that means is that they will need to try and make that up in second half of the year by, you know, reducing their spend. Um, some people that I've spoken with and heard have said uh, one part of the equation is um, literally availability of the right kinds of silicon for um, what they're what they need to build. Wow, and. At the same time, you've got um, the the supply chain backlash of glut in a certain in certain classes of of silicon, and and now you've got folks like Nvidia who are you know taking a you know a hell of a hit simply because of that, and you know Intel's reports were you know as as much as they try to sweeten them, those were pretty disastrous. So, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of reverberation of the of the of the industry around this, and I'm not sure exactly <coughs> what. Bless this, you. Um, there's it's not clear what exactly the the impacts are, or the forces are that are that are moving towards this kind of slowdown. So go ahead. I'm in the middle of writing a piece called The Rebirth of Edge and the End of Elasticity. <laughs> I, You're on it. Okay. Because and, I believe that the elastic notion is a broken business model and always has been. Now that more and more people like Mark and others are writing about, you know, it doesn't save you money. It actually costs you more. I've always felt that that cloud is a broken business model that's going to re reach a peak. And to your point, Rich, about the OPEC-like thing, I think that already exists. Google pulled out of the IoT space for a reason, not because it's not just as for profit as Amazon or anybody else they they're moving all of that resource out of uh google cloud to put it into edge they're not just abandoning it when you say they're putting it mm -hmm. into edge what does how edge computing as uh an in like industry clouds microsoft will do an industry cloud for virtually every set of businesses, but they're doing it on a cloud basis. Google is taking a different approach and putting it on an edge basis to avoid the issue of the, the CapEx, to avoid the issue of, you know, huge data center needs to be built. Now I can spread that around okay. by putting access points everywhere instead and still get the same power. Is it access points? Is it actual? Is it full on kind of lights out, unattended kind of mini data centers? What? What? How does that manifest itself? They haven't. They. Ha I haven't fleshed out all the details of it yet, but I believe it's 
access points and mini data centers. Like, you know, I'm going to build this on top of the apartment building. Thank you. I'm yeah. going to pay for that airspace. I'm going to have that connectivity. And it does me just as much as, let's say, a quarter of a huge data center would or an eighth or a fractional amount. Okay, but that yes. does tie also into their Anthos business plan of like yeah, that was what I was asking. I believe it yeah. does, but as I said, I haven't fleshed out all the details yet. Hmm. I, the the challenge I have with Anthos and any of these models that are tethered, focused on tethered design, is I I don't see that the tethered design is that. And we're getting we're getting off of resource constraints and into architecture, but um, I, the, I, I, and maybe there's a whole separate topic that we should we should cover about the the tether the tether design uh, concept because I think there's commercial issues, I think there's there's control issues, I think there's security issues. Um, I, I mean, on, on paper, resilience issues, oh, resilience issues, definitely. Yeah. On, on paper, what, what Anthos provides is a net improvement, uh, at least when, when you're dealing with with with, with hybrid and hybrid environments, uh, or when you whether it means that you want to bring stuff into the cloud from your on-prem or take it out of the cloud on, on this. Right. The, the big problem I have with Anthos is the, the very expensive to to buy into Anthos in the first place. Like it, it this is not startup friendly. So, um, no. so it, 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 I, I, my, my doubt is always like whether there's going to be any pickup for it just because of that. Because, like, on, on the technology side of things, it, it, it is probably great, but very, very few companies are, are able to or, or even willing to sit to say, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a try because of the, the huge initial investment. Um, I don't know that I consider it tethered, first of all, tethered versus federated, but that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. But from the, to your point, Klaus, and, and I don't disagree with you, it is, it is a big upfront cost, but I see it more as an, um, how do I put it? An egress from cloud to Anthos, as opposed to an ingress. You know, you did the cloud, you're not getting the value for it. Now you want to go to this and yeah. you have more control. Yeah. And that is exactly the second scenario that, that, that I was talking of. Like, what, one, one use case of Fantas is to take your existing data center, shift it to the cloud, and, and do it piecemeal, piecemeal, okay. piece, smooth transition. The other scenario is I have everything in the cloud. Now I want to distribute it. I want to, to do edge computing, but I still want to have my cloud control plane because it's convenient. Yeah. Um, hmm? I, I, That's I, what I would call the tethered side. But, but so uh, thinking back to, you know, some of the, the broader, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling us back to some of the broader concerns. Because there's a, there's a question about edge here that I think needs to be asked. Let's say we put our computing power distributed on our apartment buildings or neighborhoods or malls or right back, move it, move it into the edge. Does that 
address power and water concerns? Like, does it does it help us address? You know, okay, now I need put computers, at, you know, everywhere. Is is that better than having them? You know, concentrated in a data center in Virginia. I think so, because first of all, you're sharing the load over a broader range. You're not you're not dependent on a single part of the grid at all times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from that perspective, I see it as much more resource friendly. I also see that going forward, maybe it might take 10 years, you're going to start using the resources of the building, excess resources of the building, like heat. Right or solar power or energy of any sort as it's created um, to power that. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because, right, I've been looking at like a heat, uh, 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 heat pump water heater. Right. And those things literally feed on heat output from other sources to heat water very efficiently. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I was like, oh, wait a second. If I actually put my... Um, my computers in you know by by my water heater then conceivably i've actually got isn't i i've actually got a um you know i've got an efficiency from that that combination and so yeah you're right if go ahead you can even do that passively uh by um by just winding your uh the the um the sewer pipe around your water heater uh, input pipe. Because I, I love your your sewer, like the what your sewage is huh. higher temperature than what comes in from, from the street, especially yeah, during yeah. the winter. Yeah. But but even during even during the summer. So uh, so you, you get a net gain of heat transfer there. You literally warmed it up by letting it sit in the toilet tanks or taking a shower, right? You're mixing. So, so part of what we're, we're describing here is a, a generational shift away from concentration of resources. Because I think we're seeing the same thing in power generation. And we're now seeing it in supply chains where we're, we're like, this was our conversation leading into this, was moving manuf- you know, my, smaller manufacturings with le- less, uh, less, ne- less travel in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're actually working on synergies of combining these resources together from an efficiency perspective. It's like I mean, when I was in Louisiana, that you know, I was studying industrial engineering, and one of the things we would tour the chemical plants. Uh, I'm sure it took a lot of years off my life. Um, but the chemical plants are actually arranged down the river in the sequence of their of their waste products. And so one one chemical plant's waste products fed in like ammonia would feed into the, the the inputs for the next one down, and they would they would cluster these plants because they would they could just hook pipes up together to control their to manage their their outputs from that perspective. And we should be doing the same thing from a environmental like heating, cooling, compute makes a ton of sense. Well, here's the thing that. Oh, sorry, Rich, go ahead. I was going to say it does so long as you have the similar kind of 
autonomy or, or ability to remain continuously in operation from the point of view of other vital resources, electric, you know, electric power and water. Um, to the degree that you are dependent on, you know, the grid as it now as it now exists, without that kind of um, capability of of being sometimes uh, disconnected or at least you know operate in a with a with business continuity. The notion of, <clears throat> for example, and I think it's probably more important economically near in the near term to do this with new or or retrofitting buildings, uh, larger buildings uh, than it is the individual home. So I, I know of a number of companies that are in the business of both new and retrofitted biz businesses, buildings, um, putting in not just uh, you know network backbones, but actually building what effectively is a you know your edge data center capability. It's expandable and can be used for a variety of things, not you know, not just the HVAC and elevators and access and security of the building, but actually start to, you know, offer up um, compute and data capabilities to the tenants, the, the, the business tenants. Great idea, good, good idea if you've got the, the right kinds of data communication and you've got the right kind of power. So it, all of these things have to kind of move in, I won't say in lockstep, but they do have to be well-coordinated and choreographed. Well, you know, it's interesting because in building information management, like Ursaleo, Siemens, Schneider, uh, all of the digital twin companies that either do um, the, that are on this ESG bent, and, and I, I give them lots of laurels for it, that are looking to decarbonize buildings or looking to make them more efficient. What I don't understand is why they're they're doing it for HVAC, for plumbing, for electrical. They're looking at ways to um, make these buildings more eco-friendly, but not all of them from the software side or the design side of these engineering, these companies that are coming up are looking at at the idea of making them edge friendly. They do have to run in lockstep, Rich. I, I agree with you completely, but I'm seeing a gap in the space because you've got a bunch of people doing, I want to make a more eco-friendly data center or edge computing center. Mm -hmm. And I want to make a more eco-friendly building that's more efficient for power, for all of its services, et cetera but they're not coming together in any significant way. And it would all have to be, 90% of it will be retrofit. And the 10% that's new buildings, why aren't they working with carbon neutral or carbon friendly cement or 3D printing? Or, you know, like there's these huge gaps, chasms, yeah. if you will, and for lack of a better word. Absolutely right. I mean, there is a retooling cost. So, you know, you've got to, you know, ex 
invest in those newer technologies and you know calculate the 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 net present value and figure out the amortization of that so forth but um no you're 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 dead on and i think that just reinforces my my statement doing you know focusing solely on the the data center aspects the the edge compute the edge data without the others is just it's it's asking for trouble there's yeah. I, there's a different there's a different challenge though that that I'm I'm picking what we see and in, in the inertia on like any infrastructure change from an enterprise perspective is that, that there needs to be some high motivation for companies to take a risk on some of this work is it, this is it's it's a leader I mean it's a you know, Joe's right it's about crossing the chasm. But if you're building infrastructure out, whether it's compute infrastructure or even even more physical building infrastructure, for you to take the risk on building, you know, um, you know, setting aside square footage for potential edge data center space when it's not entirely clear what what it needs or how it's going to be configured or even if it's going to be used. Um, I, you have to have yeah. some really significant incentive to do that, or it's where you're back into it doing a retrofit, which is, to me, the the, the way to approach the market is is in retrofit. Um, I, have a, I have a short aside on on this where um, 15 years ago, I got really excited about electric cars and vehicle to grid and stuff, mm -hmm. things like that. And I, I converted a car to electric. So I took an old RAV4 and, and put batteries in it. Um, sort of to test the model. This was pre-Tesla being out. There was no, there was nothing on the market. Right. But my, my lesson in this was that a retrofitted electric car was not a, there was, there was, there would never be a market for retrofitted electric cars. The, the, the function fit of a, a building to, building to purpose was, um, you yeah. know. Ret retrofit they, doesn't it, make sense. New, oh. new and new approaches. However, let's talk about retrofit for just a second. Yeah. You want a perverse scenario. Okay. And I'm I'm happy to supply it. Um, <laughs> oh dear. This one is um the and and I hesitate to bring it up because it's so emotional. It, there's a lot of affect here. Um when I thought about Andreessen Horowitz's recent investment in flow, you know, Adam Newman's new thing. And this is all about establishing primarily in, or at least initially in urban centers, um, residential housing, post COVID among the most interesting resource for this would be remodeled we'll call it you know repurposed commercial buildings yeah all of which have a lot of the resources in place with regard to power you know, just let's just say they've got a lot of the resources in place to be re 
purposed for residential. Hmm. And Somewhere I thought if you, you were to take that sector of you know urban buildings and focus on their uh, their acquisition, their rehabbed, uh, you know, kind of repurposed. Um, you know, there's there's reason to think that that is a that's a class of building that is capable of being transformed into something for residential housing that meets a lot of the um, the criteria that we've just set up for you know thinking through futures, uh, thinking through better uh, management of uh, of all sorts of resources. Um, do I think Andreessen Horowitz and Adam Newman are going to do that? Another question. <laughs> but to your point, but Rich. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, right. Klaus. I just saw your hand up. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things here. We, we've kind of digressed from it, but uh, they're still at the front of my mind. One is uh yeah on, on on the on the edge data uh data centers so like um, building new versus retrofit discussion uh there's one other option also which is something that that google has tried to to build which is portable micro data centers and containers mm -hmm. uh so that mm -hmm. that may resurface now that there's better use cases for it yeah. Uh, the other part also with with like with the with the discussion whether retrofit is viable or not, um, I would disagree that that on, on it being absolutely not viable uh, or, or or practical. I think it it largely depends on market pressures. And I'm going back to the example of the of the EV. Like, what, I, uh, what is like cause question of clarification? What is not practical or viable? My my claim about retrofit. Retrofitting, yeah. So, so yeah. Going back to the example of of the EV, of the EVs and, and retrofitting them, uh, yeah. At the time that that you tried to retrofit that your Rav four to an EV, it it didn't make sense because again, there there was no there was no market incentive to going towards EV. However, now that we know that California is absolutely phasing out um, uh, gas powered vehicles, um, we're looking at let's say 20 30 years from now the 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 infrastructure for gas power vehicles disappearing at which point existing vehicles that depend on it might have a much higher incentive to be retrofitted and that is where solutions like uh gm's uh, cr uh create engine comes into place which is like a drop-in replacement so I think if the manufacturer was involved in doing it, the thing that made the retrofit really painful, and, and this, y'all are actually convincing me in some ways otherwise, because I'm thinking about like coal plants that are being converted into off-grid storage. I think, Rich, to your point, taking a factory location, which has really, really good access, road access, storage, sto you know, um, and power uh, access. You, know, you could take those things and and then say, all right, wait a minute, I have the raw materials to take, um, and I can imagine this, a facility and say, all right, I'm going to create a micro inventory warehouse for, for Amazon to do staging in, 
because I have loading docks and I have access and things like that. I can turn that in. I, I have power, so I could actually store power. I could actually put in a big battery system and store power for my tenants, but also to sell off at peak and do a, a peak. Like you could actually turn around and take these systems. You say, all right, I need a water heating system. I'm going to put a Bitcoin mining plant under it so that I can harvest the heat in, for water heat. Right? It, we could see a consolidation of these these systems back into you know industrial you know urban industrial pads are actually very they have all the resources coming in um well that's an interesting interesting repurposing because the the capabilities there go ahead john yeah no i rich to your point about refurbishing there are two i think three buildings in toronto uh close to the center of town uh that were office buildings that were turned into condos and one of the biggest issues that they faced was that the building codes for residential and power usage and panels and everything that go into the electrical side are vastly different for commercial buildings, for office mm-hmm. towers, than they are for residential use. Now, In you can look ways, at that and say, Joanne? well... Um, the way the way the wiring is done in an office tower is very different than the way the wiring is done in a residence. Um, you could they, look they at assume, it. And they say, assume you have an administrative staff on that rather than a homeowner. Right. Yes. And oh. the, the life safety and all of that kind of stuff comes in the plumbing. Uh, they're all different kinds of systems. I looked at it and I said and I had this discussion with my kid um about it because i said if you were going to refurbish a building why wouldn't you take the approach that commercial is superior to residential because the demands are that much greater and so therefore you really shouldn't have that much more of a retrofit and it's to your advantage to do it and his answer was because if you started to retrofit that you would be doing individual metering and wiring in sub, you know, like sub components of a floor, right? Multiple tenants on a floor might uh, have different. And, and my point to you on that is that in newer buildings, yes, in the newer buildings, they are they are actually built for that kind of sub metering, even at the you know within the floor level. Um, I agree. Yeah, that, so, and that, 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 yeah. that's the problem that like you don't retrofit a, a newer building you you retrofit a, a building that's 50 years old right or, or older mm-hmm. yeah so 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 it's built to a, a much different code than, than what the newer buildings I'm, have built. I'm, i i was i'm operating on the premise that there are some newer buildings going begging not being refilled and are good candidates for uh, retrofitting for the purpose of residential that can be done at uh, reduced incremental cost. I I don't disagree with you. I'm I'm listing some of the challenges and, and you know what he's telling me as well. Oh, um, I, but to your point, hmm. I 100% agree. And to Rob's point as well about commercial warehousing that could easily be turned into live workspace. I mean, I don't understand why the idea of, um, I don't know what you actually call it. I'm at a loss for words, but there are spaces like in New York city 
where groups of, of Gen Zs are buying sleeping space and the rest of it is a cohort, right? The kitchens, the washrooms, the whatever, whatever. They basically are creating compounds inside of a warehouse. So right. Like a co-op. A co-op. Yeah, like a, a co-op. Co-op dorm. But, but, but they're still super <laughs> expensive for each user who's getting like 200 square feet of space. If you took the opposite approach and said, you have these giant warehouses from factories that have been shut down, as long as there is no issue with contamination or residues from previous work, why wouldn't you convert those into livable space? Why do we have to keep building high rises or low rises or, or you know, increasing the density in that way when there are plenty of places, I know in Toronto for sure, all of the, what used to be the garment district and is no longer, uh, which is very close to downtown. Um, those were converted into lofts and other units, but you could do a hell of a job um, in in various parts of the city, of, of any, every major city where there was originally factory space, even if well, that, it was light manufacturing. That, that and, and coupled with, with Richard's comment about uh, I, I, I I hesitate to call it retrofitting. I, I think in your case, Rich, it would be better called converting. Uh, yes. but, uh, yeah. but yeah, there, there's been an, an increased demand also, uh, for, like a social demand for mixed use zones, mm-hmm. like not purely residential, not purely uh, commercial, but but mixed use. Yeah, like, because uh, that in, that helps. Uh, support a more dense population uh which again reduces the the need for uh personal transportation um so it's like from a social perspective it's a win-win it's just it's a lot more difficult to to plan for it and and unregulated well the question then also returns to the data center is this the reinvention of, for lack of a better way of putting it, peer-to-peer within the community of that retrofitted building? I would certainly hope so. I I think we are entering, I mean, it's just assuming that nothing radically changes, right? We are entering a period where our even and, and even the ability to send packets across vast distances. Um, the cost of doing that might might become a factor from that that perspective. Definitely, definitely the ability to consolidate, keep consolidating data centers into locations is uh, is a risk. Yeah, I'm, not just I'm that, missing but your point, Rob. Would you restate it? Oh, I I think that what the the, the locale, like we talk about edge, but I think that that there's a trend at the moment, and I think it's driven by environmental and political factors, to more locally sourced components, systems, right? Even, but, but compute cycles, I'm including in that, comp- in that component truth, right? Mm-hmm. Electrons, compute cycles, um, you know, goods, goods and services, um, you know, I, I, you know. Well, yeah, the, uh, and, and I also predict that as we start re-entering the, the space race and, and, and looking at a much wider 
uh, area of uh, of the like uh, residency and and manufacturing. Um, data locality is going to become much more important. Like it's not, it's no longer going to become practical to to get to have a direct connection to to all of the data on on, on Earth if you put a factory on the on the Moon or on Mars. Uh, because just because of the, the, the just because of the sheer latency. So peer to peer and data locality is uh, is going to become much more important in in, in those situations. Yes. Which is why an edge backbone makes a lot more sense because instead of building a 50,000 square foot data center or a million square foot data center, why wouldn't you chunk that out to within a proximity, create little hubs that are all, you know, I mean, I hate to keep using the word, but my notum's vision becomes realized. Yeah. What if, if we were talking about the power the power system and grids, we'd be talking about microgrids and DDR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and in a sense, in a way, we, we may we may go back to um communication paradigms uh dating back to the 18th century, like pre-radio. Yeah. Uh, but, but radio was a revolution in that it, it allowed near instantaneous communication. Um now yeah, that we are, are are approaching another physical barrier, which is like again the speed of light, um, we are going to experience uh, that that kind of environment again, where uh, you just don't know immediately what's happening on the other side of the world because the world has become so big. And also, it's interesting so- to think that. Um, like the Starlink satellite system that enable us to put data centers anywhere um, and the limitations of that system, which, you know, it's not a particularly big bandwidth system um, would then create, you know, would, would, would go back to, all right, I need, you know, it's not, not that different than putting something on the moon. You're, you know, you're connected, great, but you're not connected in a way that you're going to transfer, you know, the amount of information you'd send through a fiber link. Right. Um, and I, I don't think that's been baked into designs uh, yet. Uh, it's way too new. Um, an interesting, it's an interesting thought about that. Typically, we're very, very used to the tromboning everything back to cloud. Um, and I don't think Starlink is going to limit that. It's actually going to be easier to trombone, but I think it's going to be expensive to trombone. So we have to... Well, we have to um, I don't know if you follow him or have seen, but um, Keith Townsend did a road mm-hmm. trip using Starlink. Yeah, I did watch that. And didn't have such uh, positive things to say about it. You know, he had intermittent connectivity. It cost him a small fortune. It was like 700 bucks for a week. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm looking at his experience and I'm reading stuff that talks to the idea of if you have a power connection, you've got wires in the wall. Why aren't you? There are companies now that are offering data along the same as your electricity in your home. Why aren't we doing that? Yeah. I mean, from a retrofit that, capability, it would be shielding cable. You know, that, that's a technology that was, you know, people were, were thinking about 
when I really, when I first got into this business and in the days of cable, when people thought that two-way cable was the way in which the world would be networked. And part of the, part of the, uh, you know, the interest was, is there a way of utilizing the, the power grid to, to um, convey enough data reliably to make that worthwhile? And here's a case where you might find that it's a it's a mix, it's a hybrid, where we have a kind of a base level of uh, data data resource delivered right along with the power. Now, do I am I ready to turn over? any kind of sophisticated data networking to PG&E or any utility company <laughs> name? The answer there is a resounding no. Yeah, no, 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 no. I completely agree. And we, we kind of had that discussion previously, but in the terms of retrofitting the buildings, yes, you would already have the network if it's an office tower. Exactly, exactly. In other, but in other ways, you know, it makes no sense at all. Um, the but this is this is back to understanding the the assets of a location, right? Do I yeah. have robust power infrastructure? Do I have robust internet infrastructure? Do I have robust water infrastructure? Um, yeah, and the, the the other end of the the other side of the coin is uh, re reliable, high speed, uh, wide area network, uh, wireless, uh, like what 5g is promising uh assuming that it can handle the the the, the volume of clients in, in, in that dense urban area uh but i mean it means that that you could probably uh look start looking into doing purely peer-to-peer -peer traffic within the city or or a town we'll start right. small uh and then um and then do uh like uh, cable backbone uh, between towns or, or, or cities. Uh, and yes, you're decoupling your, your networking from the power. So you, again, you're, you're going in the other direction of, of what we were talking about, but it means also that you're, you're less tied to a specific physical location as long as you stay within your area. But, you know, th this leads me back to something I mentioned to you guys long, long ago now which is I did a lot of work in the area of road M, which was basically taking the bandwidth and separating it into layers of what used the least amount of packets to what used the most and separating out audio and video and, you know, email and uh, different kinds of traffic. I think that's one of the solutions, but it's one of the areas that hasn't been looked at at a really, really long time, or maybe yeah. there are people doing it. But we're in need of that now because that helps us get over having to create more data centers and yeah. more bandwidth and more connectivity of any kind of sort. Sure. No, prioritize, prioritizing traffic is, is exceptionally important. I'm going to yeah. add that to the end of elasticity uh, conversation notes. That's a good idea. Yeah, because... It, it, if only 20% of the companies in the world are actually using cloud, if that figure is to be believed, then 
you have a huge amount of enterprise data center space that could be reworked in some way just if if the traffic is prioritized because you probably don't need as much storage as what is being forecast to be used you probably don't need as much bandwidth and pardon the expression but there's a shitload of data that you don't need that yeah. whether for archival reasons or any other <laughs> that's true the 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 danger with prioritizing traffic of course is the is the abuse of it uh, like we we, we sure. all know that 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 like and, and then this goes back to even to the recent times like with back with the blackberry network and and and, and yeah. cellular, cellular data and um <laughs> what, what comcast always wants to do with with, with like <laughs> multiple tiers like do, double charging netflix and things like that uh, yeah. so so yeah, yeah so it's no, so dangerous you, you you've raised you've raised the you know the very end of network neutralities and 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 yeah. equivalent access yeah yep. this this whole idea comes with <laughs> a raft of uh potential abuses that you know we yeah. we, we would really have to protect everyone from uh going in it without that this this turns into you know another you know land grab by the wrong people yeah and, and the other thing that i want to at least emphasize also is that i think we we are at the end of an era where we can look at individual individual solutions we we are now having to start to look at things holistically uh, yeah. and yeah. uh and see how the, the solutions interact with each other. Right. And that's, and, and that's, that's the takeaway. That's I think that takeaway. is the takeaway. And, and one, you know, the, one of the corollaries of that is if you can find a community by some definition, it might be an office building. If it might be a neighborhood, if you can do this in a reasonably self-governed or I don't want to say autonomous, but at least you know reasonably self-managed or self-governed uh, approach, those are the places to start. Vertical integration for services. Yeah. And if we weren't out of time, there's a I would I would get into waste. Waste and output, because I think e egress of goods is as important in this conversation as ingress. But we are out of time, so we'll save it for another conversation. Uh, this was this was invigorating, um, a little scary, but I think there's the opportunities that we outlined here are enormous, enormous. Um, the, the yeah. question is who's willing to bankroll and it's in my mind got to be a solution that's not unlike the way large engineering projects are done today uh the way we build dams highways um mm. it, it, it might be one of the benefits of corporate towns 
I, that what? might be the that might be the arch the arc this bends through corporate towns where the companies yeah. have have the we're going to create an isolated bubble that yeah. and we're going to we're going to we're going to spend the money to make that, that's the thing I, I i actually don't think you need maybe we should have but i don't think you need big corporate resources for this i think that at the end of the day the resilience is going to be like also saying it's going to be people putting up fences and creating bubbles and you're going to have people spending money to, to build um, much more efficient, resilient compounds, buildings, spaces, and everybody else is going to like, you know, it's just like preppers. I mean, it, you know, people, people go and they prep for world, the end of the world and they build a bunker out in the woods and, you know, they're ready if the end of the world ends, but and they spent a whole bunch of money doing it. And yay, I'm counting on them continuing the human race in my absence. I'm not doing that. Mm. Um, I think that I think that that there's a there's a line that I can see, actually least resistance, where people say, all right, I'm gonna build this really you know, off, you know, grid independent facility and I'm gonna charge a huge I'm gonna charge a premium for it and find like-minded people. And then if scarcity emerges the way we are expecting it to, they're going to suddenly be like that investment paid off. Um, And then they'll sell the tech. If you take a look at some of the planned communities that have been created in and around urban centers, not directly in them. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some lessons to be learned about those both ways to do it and ways not to do it. So, yeah. The other path to versus, as opposed to like the prepper type approach, is just commoditization of uh, decoupling technologies, but like again, like home batteries and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I I think all these things are fall that will fall out of it, reach an economical point where people start picking and choosing. Right, this is uh, one of the DevOps things on Tuesdays. Um, Rocky was like. You know, I was talking about needing solar panels to charge my batteries. So then she's like, why don't you just get the batteries and not the solar panels? Then you'll have the back house back up. I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about decoupling. Yeah. That's the yeah. point. Um, and I, I think we're going to start, you know, as these technologies get proven, we'll see it. I do think that there's going to be some remarkable synergies, um, right, that, that will emerge out of this, right? You know, having a Bitcoin... Uh, system powering my water heater makes you know maybe makes a ton of financial sense um rich is giving me a funny look so okay. imagine i that one that one you're gonna have to explain to me oh uh, that one's easy that one that one's easy put solar panels on the roof i get i get free power from the sun i drive that into uh my bitcoin rig which produces excess heat i drive the excess heat into my heat pump water heater and i get hot water out of it and so Bitcoin, it's the Bitcoin part of it that I did. I, I need something that's going to run the computers hot enough to generate hot, hot water. So, oh, OK, can we just go back? <laughs> I, to I only I only mind on taking a shower. Now. now I get it. Hey, now, 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 you know, Rube Gold Free hot water doesn't have a, <laughs> you know, got nothing on you, man. All right. <laughs> Great to talk to you. Uh, all right, everybody. And it would all work beautifully it, unless your water tank is natural gas. That's <laughs> what I've got to take down. Yep. But eventually. Yeah.
Always a pleasure. Oh, and I, I think next week, September 1st, there is no meeting. Just right. a, I, I, I'm traveling, so there's no meeting next week. Oh, I thought it was because it was Labor Day. Uh, we can do it for that reason, too, but it was mainly because I'm not <laughs> going to be available. Okay. And Labor Day. All right. Beautiful. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Wow, this was a really robust conversation with a lot of deep thinking components. And we will continue to revisit this. Um, look for the uh, end of elasticity conversation. Please join it. We would love to have your voices in these conversations. At the 2030.cloud is your place to see past episodes, upcoming schedules, what our agendas are. We want you to be a part of it. Jump in, comment, let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.